Well, we are uh, here finishing uh, the part two of two. We're just doing this little mini-series called Squad Goals. Last week had an opportunity uh, to think about the, uh, the friend groups or teams you've been a part of uh, in your life. And what we said is this, listen, the best friends, the best teams, the best uh, experiences you've ever had often come where you're linked up with a group of people and you go through the fire and you come out uh, victorious. That, that the best squads, if you will, are the ones that live on mission, that have an aim. They're, they're the ones that have an actual goal of where they're trying to go. And they grow through the seeking after and running after the goal. You find uh, meaningful relationships. You find meaningful experiences. And through that, you get to walk through the fire together. But the journeys are never as meaningful if you don't have the goal. You can have a group of friends, it's nice, but if you don't have a goal, then those experiences and those relationships don't have near the meaning uh, in them. And so uh, we're just talking through this idea of what it means to be a squad and to move, uh, move through life. Now, I want you to think about it. The best movies... Uh, that you've ever seen are the ones where there is a goal, right? At the end, there's something unresolved and they're trying to get to. And you can think of the worst movies that you've ever seen are the ones that don't seem to have a very satisfying ending, right? You know what I'm talking about? Right, the ones that are unresolved at the end, they were trying to be really artsy or whatever, and you're like, yeah, but you didn't, you didn't accomplish the thing. Like, I don't, I don't know if, did they win? Did they lose? Did they die? I, I, I remember watching a, a movie because I'm a good guy. I watch chick flicks from time to time because I'm married. Can you even say chick flick? Is it 2021? I said it. All right. So, uh, and, and there was this one, and I'm not going to say the name of the movie because it's entirely possible that you love this movie and I still want us to be friends. So, but this, there, there was this movie and, and, and the guy lost his wife and then he threw some messages into the ocean and then this other lady found him and they connected and they went through all this relational strife to be together, and you're thinking they're going to be together in the end, and then the dude dies at the end. And I just remember watching that movie and going like, what the heck just happened? I, we, I just wasted two hours of my life. There's no resolution here. This is just pure sadness. This is a horrible movie, and I don't Mind saying so, but this is what happens when you watch movies, you don't feel like you get re resolution at the end because the best movies are the ones that have a goal that you're going after, the ones that you find resolution. This is what we go after over and over and over. That's what we want to see in our lives. So if we're gonna have squad goals together, even as a church and as a people, as we're kind of going through this series, we gotta ask the question, where are we actually headed? Like, where is this thing? What's the actual goal? What's the aim? Where is this thing headed? And if, you, if you're anything like me, you can kind of look out in the world and fret a little bit. Like, it doesn't look like it's going well. That things seem to be kind of chaotic, right? Because if we can be honest for a minute, you can look out at the news or the world around us. You take any time to look at news or social media or whatever. You start to feel like the whole thing is unraveling. That everything's kind of chaotic and there's anger and systems are breaking down and governments are falling apart and there's natural catastrophes and there's civil unrest. And if you look at it, and if, if you see the world around you, you go, this doesn't feel like it's going to end well. 
And so what's the goal? And the, the truth is, is even as I was getting ready for this, I started reading some, I remember reading, I was, I was looking over something this week. I was reading out of a book published in 1993. And guess what? The same sentiment was there in 1993. The world's in chaos. It's falling apart. And the truth is you can keep looking back and keep looking back. And what I want us to see is we're going to go back 3,000 years and the same message is there, but I have good, good, good news for you. This thing ends really well. And there's a goal, there's an aim that Jesus wants every one of his people to have. And if we'll have that aim and goal, then we can walk through whatever fire might be going on because we'll see the beauty at the end. I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter two. Everybody have a Bible in your hands. It's important for you to be able to see the word of God. If you came here in the room under the chair in front of you, you'll find a Bible close to you. Make sure you grab that. If you're with us at home, make sure you have a Bible in your hands so you can see the word of God. Now we're gonna unpack Psalm 2. It's only 12 verses. There's a lot here and it's way more intense than probably the average scripture that you might listen to or think about or even get preached on a Sunday morning. It's, I'm just gonna be honest with you. It's intense. Can you do this with me? Can you do this with me, folks? Okay, it's intense, but we're gonna go there. Now, listen, Psalm 2 is, is known as or understood as a messianic psalm. What do I mean by that? Well, this, uh, this, this song, if you will, is, has a corollary to a Davidic king, right? Meaning someone out of the line of King David. And this psalm is a coronation of that king. And we, had, we don't actually know which king it ties to, but what we do know is this, is that this psalm has a much deeper meaning because it's actually pointing to the coming Messiah who will sit on the throne forever and ever. It's, this psalm is actually about Jesus. And in this psalm, it's going to unfold in four parts what's actually going to take place. It's actually going to tell you basically the entire story. You're going to get the whole story of all creation summed up in 12 verses. And I love, I was reading uh, in, in some of the commentaries Charles had in Spurgeon. He actually likens this to a four-act play. He says there's four parts of this. It's like a, it's like a movie that you're watching. He didn't say movie because I don't think that was a thing during Spurgeon's day, but he said it's like a four-act play. And so I said, I want you to see this. And so here's the opening act. The theater comes alive. The lights come on. The, the, the uh, curtains pull back. And here's what it says. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves... And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So here's the picture right here. This is actually, you could feel this taking place in, in many ways in the culture in which we're in the world, just in which we're living in. That the kings of the earth are saying, listen, you're not going to tell us how to live or how to be. We're wiser and smarter than you are, God. We have our own ways. This is, by the way, just a, a clear picture pointing to Romans chapter one where uh, Paul gives a clear picture of what's happening where the world looks at God, the world looks at the creation, and the world goes, the creation's what I want. I want the stuff. I want me. I want my way. And so they're pushing against who God is, and they're saying, we don't want your rulership, we don't want your ways, we don't want your ideas. 
And so they've taken their stand against the king of the universe. They've come against him. And then this, we move to the second act. And this is the part where it gets really good. Meaning if you were in the theater, this is where you'd be shoveling popcorn. All right. And you're just all in on this thing. You're not even thinking about it anymore. You're just in. And here's what it says in verse four. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Or the way that NIV says it is, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. And he'll speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So here's what he's saying is, this is how this whole thing is going. You can do whatever you want to do. But I've set my son on the throne and nothing is changing that. Nothing is changing that. All right. Uh, Spurgeon actually says this is the most terrible, terrifying laugh one could imagine. It's this full-scale scoffing. In fact, I, I was reading in a, a Mike Bickle's book, Passion for Jesus. Uh, he says it this way. He says, God laughs at them for he knows that their success has been only what he has granted to them. The nations are as a drop in the bucket to him. Isaiah 40. A mere speck of dust on the scales of time. The nations of the world have no ability to resist his edicts. The Father can bring an end to them with a mere flick of his finger. He can blow them away with the faintest breath of his mouth. I gotta be honest with you. There is chaos going on all over the place. God's not worried, not one bit. He's got this deal. Now, it doesn't mean, listen to me, church, it doesn't mean he does not care about every trial and tribulation that's taking place. But let me tell you, he isn't trembling in any way, form, or fashion. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he's calling his people to trust him. And so he set his king on the throne, on his holy hill. And it brings us to this third act where he gives a promise to all of us. And he says, this is where this whole thing is heading. That if you'll align yourself with this, you will find yourself built up and moved forward in victory and glory. And this is what he says in verse seven. He says this, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Now, here it is. Let me tell you what Jesus wants. He wants the nations of the earth. It's what he's going for. You want to know what the goal is? We link arms together as a people, as a church, as we begin to look forward into what God is doing you want to know what God's really about? Let me tell you what God is really about. It is about delivering the nations of the earth as an inheritance to his son forever. And he's calling partners to link arms towards that goal. That of all the goals that we're meant to have in this life, 
that there should be something fundamentally inside us that is eager and ready and hungry to partner with the king of the universe to say, I want you to sit on the throne and I want the nations to be your inheritance. Jesus, what can I do? What can my life be about? How can I align myself? Because this is where all of human history is going. And I just want to be there for the party. I got to be honest with you. I want to be there for the coronation. I want to see Jesus receive that inheritance. I want to be a part of it. This is what he was describing, of course. Uh, it was what we get to see in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, I want you to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of, of God. Jesus endured the cross for what? For the inheritance. That was the joy that was set before him, scooping you and me up, but not just you and me and not just America, the nations of the earth. Everyone, he wants them all, has this beautiful, radical, loving jealousy for all the nations of the earth. He'd look at every people group, right? He wants to see every color. He wants to see every tongue, every language. He wants to see every tribe, every village, all people fashioned in his image to be able to say to them, I love you. Sons and daughters, you're my beloved inheritance. You are the reason that I went to the cross. This is my aim. This is what I'm doing. This is my purpose, my prophetic purpose for the end of time is to gather the nations to call them my own. You're my child. You're my reward. The nations of the earth are the reward of the king. If you even think about what it means to be a king, what does it mean? to sit on a throne and to have a people that are his, to lead and to care and to cover them. And we've seen a bunch of it throughout history, a, a bunch of evil kings who have their own desires. And he's the one king who came and said, I'm so willing to have you for my own, I'm willing to die for you. So radically for you, the king will lay down his life. What king lays down his life? None. They're the ones sending everyone out into the fray to figure it out for themselves, to protect his own possession. What he says is, no, you're my possession, so I go before you, and I lay my life down. And so we receive his call to every person to go out, to proclaim that there is a radical love from the heart of God to receive. And so you continue to read on this final act in a very jarring way and yet in, a, in, in such an incredibly powerful way. And this will just jar you. I'm just gonna be honest with you. It's gonna shake you for a minute because here's what it says, verse nine. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, I'll just pause here. It seems, this seems harsh. But I want you to remember, we are in an hour of history right now. We're sitting in a moment in history where the radical kindness of God is moving forward. The radical love of God is being proclaimed. There's this beautiful hour for as long as Jesus 
chooses to wait before he comes or waits on the Father to declare it's time for him to come again, ruling and reigning. We're in this hour where Jesus' arms are wide open saying, come on. In fact, uh, Romans 2 says it this way. It is the kindness of God that will lead people to repentance. So the radical manifest kindness of God is across the earth. And he's screaming and shouting by the grace of God through his people who are willing to say, come and be a part of this family. There's no person on the face of the earth that we can't look them in the eye and say, you are called to come and be a part of the family. The radical kindness of God is here and ready for you to forgive and to bring you in. Because you know what? Every human knows deep down, we're so badly broken. We're so radically selfish. We tend to do things that revolve around us all the time. And God says, I know, but son and daughter, I have a better way for you. And it's in me. And that's what it is. But listen to me. There is coming a day, okay? And we don't talk often about it in churches. But you need to hear this. There is coming a day in which that moment will finally end and God will come to judge everything and everyone that hindered the radical love of God across the earth. He will come in judgment and he will dash to pieces like pottery. Anything that kept people, blinded people from seeing the goodness and the glory of Jesus. There is a moment of judgment coming in. Church, I gotta be honest with you, we're closer today than we were yesterday from that hour. And there is meant to be something stirring inside of us as a people to say, God, what you want and what your goal is, that's my goal. I want my squad goals, if you will. I want to be linked up with a group of people that are going, what is it that Jesus wants? In fact, one of the fundamental questions we ask is that we come together as a church leadership. Well, one of the questions we often ask ourselves is, what does it look like to be a church that pleases Jesus? And I think it's a profound question for a church, but I think it's a deep and meaningful question for every one of us that are sitting here in this room. What does it mean to be a church? What does it mean to be a person that pleases Jesus? I want to be there with him. That's what he actually leads to in verse 10. Because this is what he says. Because this is so beautiful, by the way. Because he's honest about this moment where God will judge all things that hindered the radical love of Jesus, people knowing it. But hear this, verse 10, now therefore, O kings, now he's speaking to the same kings who set their course against him. Be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So here's what he's saying. Hey, serve the Lord with fear. Now, I love this. Here's a, here's a beautiful fear of the Lord. We all, we all just from time to time, you should have just a little shiver. Just shoot down your spine when you think about God, okay? There's just a little one that just goes, hey, this is the king of the universe. He stands over. He's not worried. There, is, there could be chaos across the earth. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's accomplishing his purposes. And from that, there should be just a little shiver. Just say, Lord, whatever you say is true and right, and I'll follow you. I'll follow you to the end. But then he says, but rejoice. 
So I don't want just the shiver, but I want just like the hallelujah, all right? A little bit of just, hey, come on. There should be some rejoicing. I'm going to be honest with you. If the, the nature of your relationship with Jesus is constantly, oh, woe is me, and I'm not good enough, I'm not getting there, listen, then you've missed what it means to have the king of the universe come and save your soul and make you whole and give you fresh life. There should be just a little bit of a hallelujah on a Monday morning. It shouldn't just happen here in these moments. I love gathering together in these moments, but church is a Monday morning where we ought to know, I got the king of the universe leading me this week. And whatever chaos is going on out there, he's got this thing sewn up. It's in the bag. And I can live in that truth. I can actually live in that victory. In fact, that's the life we were meant to live is the one in his victory, not in our own. So that on those days where we have those defeats or we fall short, we come to that king and say, Jesus, give me your victory again. And he picks us up and we rejoice with trembling. And then it says, and I love how he finishes because he says, kiss the son. It just means come on in. You don't kiss that you're not close and intimate with. You come in. He's saying, come on in here. Don't turn your heart away from me. I want intimacy. I want connection. I want authenticity with you. So let's dive in here. Give him your heart and you and listen to him and rejoice and let that tremble come down your spine a little bit and walk with him. This has got to be a part of who we are as a church as we talk about the things that shape us as a people, as we talk about actually even what it means when we gather here on a Sunday, because it's certainly more than just doing a service, right? We don't gather our kids together just to say we gathered our kids together. We want to see a generation of worshipers, and I'm looking at you just because you serve all the time. I'm sorry. I'm just pointing it. Like, Daphne, you're getting this right now, girl. Yeah, there it is. But just... Daphne, we don't, we don't gather kids together so we can say we did sweet kitty care. We want to see a generation of worshipers who are anchored in the truth of their identity in Christ. This is why we're here. What, it, what are we doing with our lives? And I want to ask that question together as a people on a Sunday, and I want us to ask that question together as a people on a Monday morning too, that we're meant to be hungry and honestly, with Jesus, have a holy jealousy for the nations of the earth. I want us to be a church that thinks outside. I, I love that we are here in Franklin, and we're meant to touch this city. We want to reach this city and touch this city. We want to see Middle Tennessee transformed, and then we see the broader Tennessee. We want to see U.S. come into alignment and agreement with the truth of who Jesus is. But church is bigger than that. There's a bigger kingdom. We want to see the nations of the earth. If Jesus' prophetic destiny is to have every nation, tribe, and tongue as his inheritance, then we have a call as a people to reach and pray and intercede and send and go and fund the spread of the gospel across the nations of the earth. That's what we want to be. It's part of our fundamental call. It sounds neat on a coffee mug. Matthew 28, to go into all the world and to make disciples. It's an entirely different thing to say, oh God, let me embody this. 
Let me be a part of this. You understand, church, every one of us, this collectively but together meant to touch the nations. This is, this is part of who we are. It's what we do. And so here's the question. What does it look like for us to become a church that loves and touches the nations? What does that look like? Because candidly, we're a small church here. And if we're not careful, it's easy to look at maybe the size of the room and go, oh, there's not much we can do. That's literally the opposite of God's economy. In fact, actually, he's looking for small that's just willing to go, okay, I believe you can use us to change the nations of the earth for his inheritance. That's what we're meant to do. It's what we're meant to be. So what do we do? Number one, we're just gonna, we gotta pray. We gotta start praying for the nations. And I just wanna say, listen, well, one, we have first Thursdays. So the first Thursday of every month we come together, pray. We're gonna make, take more and more time to be praying for the nations of the earth. But two, I just wanna say this. You got, you got a nation already that's clanging around in the back of your head. You got one, it's, it's because of maybe it's like where you've came from. Like, all right, some of you Scandinavians or I don't know, wherever you came from. All right, and you're going, I want, I don't know, is Scandinavia, it's, is that a country? That's not a country. It's a region. What I was, uh, so if, you're, if that's you, run, go there, listen. You got a nation, all right. Listen. You don't have to have a deep heart for all 200, you know, 197, whatever. There's somewhere in the 197, 206, somewhere, somewhere, you know, depending on where you're at politically on all that, which is irrelevant. There's 200 nations across the earth. Listen, I'm not, I'm not asking, sorry. It's just politics, so awkward, right? There's 200 nations across the earth. All right, you don't have to have a, a deep, deep heart for all of them, but you gotta have one. You gotta have one or two or three that you go, hey, there's something churning in me, God, that you've got an inheritance in that nation. I'm just asking you to do it. Just to begin, to, and maybe you have nothing right now. You're going like, I've literally never been outside of the lower 48. This is my turf, my territory, all right? So back up off me. And I'm saying, hey, you may never have to leave the lower 48. That may not be the call on your life, but church, we wanna be a people who begin to pray and ask God, who, do you, who are your people you got a people group out there that look and talk different than me and you love them with the same veracity you've loved me. All right, two, we're gonna be a church that serve the nations. We wanna serve the nations. How? Well, one, I just wanna say this. Would you just pray about going? Now listen, it's a weird pandemic world right now. You can't go anywhere and there's, there's all kinds of weird stuff. I'm just trusting that the Lord's gonna open up opportunities in the door again for us to be able to go. But I want you to pray. I'm not telling you you have to go. I'm asking you, would you be willing to pray about going? One of the most profound things I have ever done in the entirety of my life is be a part of short-term mission teams where I, we get to partner with those that are right there on the ground who are seeing the world and, and seeing God move in nations been the most power, one of the most powerful things that I've ever done. I'll tell you, and I, just even with a brief story, one of the most profound things that has literally ever happened to me, uh, me and my senior pastor and one other businessman were called to come speak at a pastor's conference in India. We were going down to the state of Orissa where there was radical uh, militant Hindus that were coming against the move of the gospel in that state, still happening actually to this day. And 
we went there uh, to preach at a pastor's conference. They were gathering more than 200 pastors. These are leaders of churches uh, in, in and around this region, in and around this state. And so we arrive there and we come to the first night of the conference. And the first thing that takes place is we, we get a chance to just hear what's happening. These, these men are having their homes burned, churches burned. We spoke with several men who had already had family members killed, murdered, or imprisoned. And we're hearing the stories of what it means to lead a church. And we come to the first night of the church where we're at this pastor's conference and I'm supposed to be preaching somehow wisdom to these men. And you know what the first thing they do is? Is they line us up, sit us down, take our shoes off and wash our feet. Let me tell you what Jesus thinks about these people. He wants them for himself. I was undone. And I just desperately wanted a translator because I wanted them to preach to me. I was ready to pull every person on our staff to come over and listen. These men tell us how to lead church. I want to encourage you to just start praying for the nation. It'll change you. To even think about going to a nation. At some point in time, should God open up the doors again for us to be able to go out? And we're looking for opportunities as a church to be able to do that, um, to create opportunities for us. So we're not asking you to figure it out on your own. We'll be doing it together as a people. But I want to tell you right now, we're meant, we are meant to serve the nations. And I want to be just in, 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 very, in a very simple way, say this. If you want to begin to serve the nations, if it's in your heart to serve the nations, just start here. Start here. I was, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the uh, evangelist and, I, you know, she's actually just a missionary. Her name's Jackie Pollinger. Uh, she, she is a woman from the UK, gave her entire life to orphans in China. This is what she's been doing her entire life. And I remember listening to a message from her and she said something that just shook me. She said, don't come here. She said, don't come over here. Don't come over here and try to serve. And I, I thought, why are you saying don't? It shouldn't you want partners? And she said, listen to me. Uh, we don't want you coming over here to serve so that you can have a cathartic experience if you're not first serving in your local context. What she actually said is this. The reason we go is not for the nations. The reason we go is for the radical love of Jesus. And if that isn't burning in you in your home, then I don't want you to come over with whatever spirit you're bringing to minister to these little children. I want that to be in you first. Be totally stirred by who Jesus is and moved by him. I want to just encourage you, if you want to serve the nations, just begin serving. You jump on one of our teams. We have lots of teams you can just be a part of. And we talked about that a little bit last week. There are many ways to serve, certainly here when we come together, but there's lots of ways to serve the community around you. And we want to do that together, but we also want to encourage you. You're living in context where we get to serve each other, uh, get to serve people in different ways. So I want to encourage you to begin to think about that. There's so many ways. Hospitality. 
and welcoming people and kids and security and outreaches and events and leading groups. And there's so many different ways you can use your talents. But you know what Jesus says? Cup of cold water in the name of the Lord. That cup of cold water you give to someone, you've given it to Jesus, right? Here we don't do cold water. We do hot water over beans into a beautiful thing that's called coffee. All right. I'm going to be honest with you. I gotta, thank you, Jesus, for coffee. Just, can we just have a moment? Just worship Jesus. All right. But let me tell you something. That, the cup of coffee that you create on a Sunday morning for your brothers and sisters, you don't do it for them. You're doing it as unto the Lord. There's a thousand ways we can serve the nations. We start here by building a heart to serve Jesus here. We do that. And then finally, I'll finish with this. We want to, we're gonna re, we want to serve here, but then we also just want to be able to be a people who resource and we send to the nations. Because let's just be honest. Not everyone's going to go out. In fact, some physically may not even be able to yet. Things going on, or maybe just isn't the call on your life, but we can be a people who resource and send. We resource and send. We want to be a people who partner with what God is doing. We have several partners. Uh, as I mentioned to you last week, and I'll say it again this week, 10% of everything that comes here to this church, we give to outreach and missions. We have multiple partners. We've had Caleb Company or Caleb Global that's been able to share. Todd and Don have shared here many times, but we have some other partners. I wanted you just to be able to hear, as many of you heard, there was an earthquake in Haiti. All right, more than 300 people have died and they're still counting right now. We have partners in Haiti. I wanted you just to hear a few things from our partners that we are resourcing and sending as a church, meaning that you have an inheritance with. I want you to hear this. You're coming to this church and you give and you're sowing into this church. Church, you're sowing into the nations. I want you to hear about a few of them. Let's hear. here with Restore Haiti and I just wanted to give you a little background on our ministry and what we're doing in the country of Haiti. So we've been around for about 15 years. We started out as a partnership with an organization down there called Restoration Ministries. It's a local church. As we started to learn more and more about the country, we realized there was a real need for education because they don't have a public education system that they can just get education for free. So we actually then at that point decided we were gonna broaden what we were doing. And so now our program actually includes nutrition, education, and medical. And the whole idea being that if you don't have all three of those, it's really hard to be able to focus on one given area. So we now do that and we actually have gotten to the point where in order to do that, um, we've seen generational change start to begin uh, we're seeing the first steps of self-sustainability, which is really the goal and mission of the organization. We're also to the point where we now actually have nearly a thousand children in the program uh, that are sponsored by people like you. Uh, you know, there's a, a monthly sponsorship program that's $38 a month and it covers all of those needs for them. But then also because of the success of the program, uh, we've first of all been able to actually hire staff down there. We've now got over 50 full-time employees that we employ. Uh, but additionally, because of how successful the program's been, we're now actually to the point where we've got 
nearly 75 students actually wanting to go to university and trade school. Um, this is a little bit of a challenge for us because it's a bit more expensive than traditional secondary schooling and everything. But we know if that's what God's will is that we're gonna be able to figure out a way for that. So our go forward and our vision for the next few years is actually to find organizations and individuals passionate about uh, further education, job training and careers for these kids so that we can actually help them really start to make sustained change within their country. A big thank you to New River Fellowship. You've been there since the beginning when our founder, Philip Peters, was actually attending New River and started the entire concept of Restore Haiti. And now we're 15 years later and couldn't have done it without all the support of New River as a church and all of the individual members. So thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing what we can do together in the future. Hey, New River family, this is Jesse Martin. And Lauren Martin. We are the directors of the FAI Homefront for Frontier Alliance International. Our mission as Frontier Alliance International is to exalt Jesus amongst the unreached and unengaged people groups at the end of the age. We like to focus on an area called the 1040 window in which two thirds of the world's entire population resides. Within that area, 97% of the un unreached and unengaged people groups live and only 1% of missionaries go to this region. You can think of it this way, if the Great Commission was represented by a giant log, we quite literally have 99 people uh, out of 100 on one side and one person on the other. And if we are to accomplish the task and faithfully steward it, um, then we are to really pay attention to the side that has one person on it or else the Great Commission is not going to be fulfilled. And so this is where kind of we as directors of the home front kind of kick in. Uh, we have lots of experience in the Middle East. We're deeply connected with our team leaders and our teams on the, on the ground, uh, constantly being updated so that we can accurately advocate uh, for them here um, on the home front, here in the state specifically. Um, we look at the, the, the side of the log with one person and we see that is massively underfunded, massively understaffed, and we want the desire of the church to be ultimately for the coming of the Lord, which is the reward of the fulfill of, of accomplishing the Great Commission. And so we believe as the hunger and desire for the blessed hope and the coming of the Lord grows within the church, we, we fully believe that we're going to see a church that's participating full of love, full of zeal. Um, and ultimately, that vision and that desire is needed to be sustained uh, in the labor amongst these hardest and darkest places in the 1040 window. And so this is kind of where we kick in, and this is our desire, this is our passion as directors of the home front, is to mobilize the church, to see the church equipped, to see the church trained up, and to see them participating. And so we very much appreciate you, New River family, for your participation, for your partnership, for your prayers. And if you have any questions, uh, let Keith know. He'll be happy to connect you guys to us if you have any questions about what the Lord is doing amidst the Muslim world in 1040 window. Love you guys. Love you guys. Thank you. Hi, New River. I'm Casey Goff. And I'm Heather Goff. Casey and I are missionaries here in Maribor, Slovenia. 
Casey and I have been working as missionaries in Europe since 2015. Those first few years, we were in Budapest, Hungary, working in Hungary as church planters and throughout the Balkans. Yeah, so like Heather said, uh, we are church planters. And in Europe, that can take several different forms because, you know, some people will, are a little apprehensive about coming to a traditional church. So one of the things that we do is we help start small spiritual communities that are uh, centered around the person of Jesus. And we try to invest and local leaders so that these communities are led by local, uh, by nationals and uh, we're in discipleship and mentorship relationships with them in hopes that those communities would turn into other communities or multiply into other spiritual communities that would not only reach our city but also reach our region because uh, in Europe and in, in, in this part of the world in particular, you see very, very low numbers of uh, what we would consider uh, uh, believers. And, uh, you know, in, in many ways, this is a, a post-Christian culture. Uh, but the opportunity that is before us is one that people are asking deeper questions about spirituality and meaning of life and, you know, where hope comes from. And the downside of that is there can be a lot of spiritual confusion but what we have the opportunity to do is come in with the truth of the gospel and the hope of the gospel and the power of the gospel. And so you guys are a part of that. And we wanted to say thank you, not only for your financial support, uh, because we we are able to do what we do because of people like you, uh, but also your prayers and your friendship. It means a lot to us to know that, that we are loved and we are thought of and that you pray for us. And so uh, we just wanted to say thank you, New River, and thank you for what you do for us. And, and hopefully one day soon we'll be able to to be there with you and and share with you in person some good reports but in the meantime we wanted to know uh, we wanted you to know that we're grateful for you so uh, we love you guys and thank you amen can you say thank you to the lord for these awesome missionaries that are <clears throat> you guys stand with us um we're just going to finish this morning i um those are just three of our partners, That meaning that when you partner with us as a church, we're partnering with the nations to see Jesus moving forward. And I love that we're, we've got many different areas of the world even covered just in the, 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 the missionaries we shared with you this morning. Uh, but we're gonna be a church that wants to touch the nations. And we're just asking for God to begin to plant that heart in us and so I'm just, what I want to pray over us as we go uh, in this moment is, Lord, would you make us hungry for your inheritance? Because your inheritance is what matters the most. This is where we're headed. So we just pray that with me. Father, I'm just asking right now, just across this room, would you just cover us? Would you cover us with your love and with your might and your power? And would you reveal to us your heart for the nations? And Lord, how can we begin to partner with you? How can we say yes to what you're doing? How can we hunger for the things that you hunger for? How can we love the peoples that you love? Lord, would you show us how we're meant to affect? Some of us are called to go. Some of us are called to send. But Lord, each one of us are meant to pray and ask. And I just, I ask right now, Lord, would you grant to us a heart for the nations across the earth? We're gonna believe you to accomplish your purposes and plans, and we thank you. So Lord, would you just uh, anchor this truth in our heart? Lord, would you begin to give us vision for how to pray, to partner with you, maybe for one or two places across the earth that you just love, 
And I ask, God, that you'd burden our hearts and that we might say yes to you.